Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hello and welcome back to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's mental health podcast. I'm Rachel Moss, Metro's lifestyle editor, And on today's episode, I'll be joined by a career mentor, Laurie McPherson. She's going to talk about mental health at work and how to leave a job that's not making you happy. But before that, I've been hearing from all of you. As always, you've been getting in touch to tell me what you've been doing to support your mental health this week. The little things I like to do to help my mental health are playing my guitar and writing songs. That makes me feel very relaxed and uh, and happy in, in my safe space. This week, I've really been taking my time to enjoy the sunshine to help boost my mood, whether that's taking a little walk to the shop or going to the park to look at the lakes and the birds, or even just sitting outside a pub with a pint. The boosted vitamin D levels have really helped me feel better and happier. So Laurie, thank you so much for joining us today. I know that you're a career mentor and not a career coach. For anyone listening who doesn't quite know the difference or doesn't know what that means, can you explain what a career mentor does? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on, uh, Rachel. So I call myself a career mentor because so much of what we talk about has to be the how. We absolutely do talk about the why and the what, what roles might suit your values. We talk about what your values might be. We talk about the sort of work that might align with all of that. But ultimately, a lot of my work is about the how, of how to go and then get those jobs. Because without that, it's all very, very grounded in, in the theory. And I need to, we need to make it really practical so that, that you can actually go and get one of those great jobs once you've decided what they are. Mm, interesting. Okay, that makes sense. So why do you think in your experience, so many of us are in jobs that just aren't making us happy? 
I think there's a number of reasons. And I think um, I tend to work with women a lot, Rachel. Um, and obviously, we, we have to acknowledge that often women's careers get sidelined for caring responsibilities. They often pick a role that suits because it's close to home, that's flexible while the kids are small. And what often happens is they don't then sort of transition back out when things change because it's it's kind of comfy by that point. They like their colleagues, it's close by, you know, they've got a job and all of these things. Sometimes people feel lucky to have a job at all in the current climate. I think that's something that's kind of perpetuated by, you know, um, media discussions about the climate, etc. sometimes, you know, and what's going on. So women can easily ha- have their careers sidelined. They can easily decide just to stay where it is because it's easier. And I think a lot of people, to be perfectly honest, just can't really be bothered with the thought of moving because... There's so much to think about. They've got to think about recruitment agencies and ATS systems. And do I have to use LinkedIn? And I've got all these other things in my life. I've got care and responsibilities. I'm thinking about moving house. We'd love to get a holiday. It's just not the right time. So often women take a bit of a hit, if you like, and stay in careers that they don't love. And a lot of the time, often for, for both sexes, confidence really comes into it as well. And also kind of social expectations, lots of the time, People think that people like them don't get to do anything out of the norm. They only know the jobs that they see around them. You know, they say we can't be what we can't see. So if you can't see people really striving forward, being really ambitious and going for it, maybe that's just not something that you think is within your reach and within your stretch. So I'll stay where I am, thanks. And actually, there's a whole massive big world of different jobs out there that you could go for if you wanted to. So with the women that you work with, what's the mental health impact you see on women who are in jobs that they just feel a bit, a bit, a bit stagnant in, a bit unfulfilled? You know, how does that then go on to impact their wider lives and their self-worth? Yeah, it kind of creeps into a general feeling of ugh. You know, and the sort of Sunday night dread and the sort of they're not delighted to get out of bed in the morning. They often don't really feel that what they do has much purpose. That's been one of the biggest reasons people have come to someone like me since COVID, because they've wanted something a bit more purposeful. Lots of my clients don't want to work for the big corporate wheel anymore. But while they choose to stay, it generally contributes to a feeling of being feeling just a little bit flat. And there's always a reason to sort of stay stuck. You know, it could be once the kids are a bit older, once I've got my next qualification, once we've moved house, there's always something to make them stuck. And what I'm all about is empowering them to see that they're not stuck. We are making choices all the time. We might not like those choices some of the time, but there are choices that we can make and we can we can make different ones if it suits us better. So if you are one of those people, I'm sure this is going to resonate with so many out there who's just like, not in love with my job, but I also don't really know how to change it. I don't have the energy to change it. What then? What's your advice? Are there kind of some first steps you can take? Yeah. So first of all, realise that it is a process. Now, I shied away from this word for ages, Rachel, because who wants to get into a process, right? It's not exciting. It doesn't sound fun or energising. It sounds a bit yet another thing to have to do on top of a massive to-do list. But if you think about where you might want to end up, you know, not not the 10-year plan, but even the five or the couple-year plan, what might I like to do? And if you can approach it with a bit of a, a sense of research and a bit of, I'm going to have a look at what's out there. I'm going to have a look at who does these kind of jobs. I'm going to have a look at what companies they're with. I'm going to have a look at what they pay. You know, I'm going to start the process of doing a bit of research 
oh, okay, I've got most of those skills and I could quite easily get that other one and work backwards, do some backwards planning, realise that it is a process and it will take time. I think a really good tip for me for, for the mental uh, state of it all is to tell yourself and start to tell others and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk a bit about that later. But tell yourself you're, you're moving. You know, in the next year or so, I'm going to be moving. So as a sort of preamble to that, I'm currently doing X, Y and Z so that you know you're, you're, you're doing something and actually there's forward motion happening, there's action because it's when there's no action that we really feel stagnant. Once we're taking actual action and we know that that's going to take us somewhere, it's much easier to feel a bit more like we're on the right path. Mm, so you've got to put a bit of a deadline on it because otherwise you can just say one day and never really do it. Yeah, it, it can all get a bit kicked into the long grass, as I see, especially for women, especially if we might move house, we might um, then then something happened to a member of the family, then one of the kids, we decided to change schools. And, you know, all of these things which absolutely are totally valid and happen in the real world where I work with human beings. Um, sometimes it's about actually deciding, right, this is where I'm going and I'm going to stick to that quite resolutely. Hmm. I think um, there are just so many options out there of things to do that sometimes even knowing what you want to do can be a big hurdle for a lot of people as well. I know I've definitely heard that from people I've interviewed about uh, career changes and things in the past. They've just, you know, absolutely no idea what industry is even right for them. For someone in that kind of situation, what would your advice be? Yeah, so start with what you don't want, you know, rule out some stuff that you just don't want to do. For example, I don't ever want to do anything. And, and I'm saying this f- fully um, openly, I would never be great at doing anything that involved kind of caring slash support work. Not because I'm not a nice or caring person. And I hate that I have to put that caveat in. But it's just not the sort of work that I want to do. And I think I'd be very good at, you know, I'm not particularly patient for, for a start. So rule out some stuff, but then start to have a look at what is out there. You know, do some really general keyword searches that, Maybe if you work at the moment with partnerships or stakeholders, do some really general searches. Don't get hit up about what comes back if it's all technical or it's all construction and that's not what you do. Just start having a look at what does come up. What sort of jobs are there with your skills you've already got? Or is there something on the other side of the coin that really you've always been interested in? Have a look at what that actually entails and involves. Is it practical to do it now? Do you need to do it full time? Could you do it as a side hustle? And start to think about the practicalities, including money, you know, cost of training, all of that unexciting stuff as well. But at some point, we have to think about all these things too. So either start with a general search, or if you do actually know what you want, but you just haven't sort of you know, gone for it, have a think about what it would actually take for you and your situation to go and retrain as a yoga teacher for a talk and sake. How long might that take? Is it a sensible side hustle? Is it something you would do instead? Is there a time in your life when that might be a good time to do it? And have a think about how you might make that work for you. I guess it comes back to confidence as well that you were saying you might actually deep down have a have a thought about what the dream job may be, but just think you're not capable of doing it. What sort of uh, work do you do with women to get their confidence up? Yeah, so again, being a really practical person, I look at the evidence, Rachel, and then we look at what they've already achieved. So every single time I sit down to do a CV, people can't remember numbers and they can't remember exactly what we did. But once we dig in and really properly get the evidence down, oh, okay, so you saved your previous company £7 million. That was one I found this morning that was not mentioned on the CV. Um, you know, we saved them £7 million by updating processes. That sounds amazing. 
Oh, well, yeah, that, I suppose that is pretty, pretty big. That is pretty good. That is pretty juicy. You know, so it's getting the evidence down. So your, your comms, your, your marketing campaign actually changed the process for how many subscribers? Oh, for 300,000 subscribers. Okay. Let's add that in. That's it. And I'm, I'm always really surprised, not surprised that people don't put these things in because they don't remember them because we're too busy doing the work. But once we actually start to look at the evidence of what you've done and what you've achieved, and you'll never, this will never come to you you know, straight away in a, in a flash of light, it does take some time and some digging. But once you start to think, what have I achieved? What impact have I had and the work that I've done had? Then you can start to look at things a little bit differently. And if it is a massive career transition, what is the golden thread? So, for example, one of my clients was a was a yoga teacher. She ran her own studio, she had her own business, and she went into customer service. The customer service thread was there. She looked after customers. She'd improved processes. She'd covered classes to make sure they got the best service. We had to just pull out all the customer service elements, minimise some of the stuff they didn't need to know, and use the other skills she had. In this case, one of the peripheral things she had was, a, was she, she spoke several languages that got her into this other job. Um, you've mentioned your business is very much tailored towards women because they can have wiggly careers or things that traditionally interrupt maybe their workflow uh, more than their male peers. But do you think women are also in greater need of career mentoring? Are we perhaps more inclined to uh, downplay our achievements or not advocate for ourselves. 100% and that is taught to us from birth Rachel you know we we are taught that we have to be kind and nice and put everybody else first and put ourselves last and we're also taught through our upbringing that um, and this is all part of the research a a brilliant book that I read called How Women Rise talks about this um, and these talk about how women believe that if we do great work it will be recognised it won't Unfortunately, we have to shout about it, which means self-promotion, which is deeply uncomfortable because who am I to shout about myself? I should just be getting on with my work, um, especially if you, for any reason, don't fit into the nice, kind, caring type, you know, stereotype to start with. Um, yeah, we absolutely downplay our achievements. We know the stats about how men and women apply for jobs differently. We know that women tend to not make as much use of their networks. It feels like they're using people. Um, men tend to call it leverage in their network. There's a, just a, they approach it slightly differently. There's much less, usually much less strategy and planning because things can happen to derail women's careers and they are usually the ones that take the hit. And I know it's not always about leaving a job as well. It might just be about recognising your worth and really championing yourself where you are in your workplace. How do you help women with those things? For example, it might be asking for a pay rise or asking for better work bonuses uh, or anything like that. Yeah, and again, I, I do lots of this. So sometimes they, they say, I love my job, but I need them to pay me an extra £5,000 to make it you know, in line with market, in, in line with the rest of the market. So have a conversation with my client and see, you know, what is, again, back to the evidence, we're not going in to ask for cost of living pay rise. Employers have cost of living too, and it's worse for them because they have you know, higher bills. We're going in to give them the evidence of what we've done. So I always recommend that you gather that evidence as you go. You ask for a separate specific meeting. You don't try to shoehorn it into any other general chat. And you ask for a conversation about your growth and development at that meeting. Use your evidence. So my direct reports over the last three years have gone from three to 20. And the golden tip, stop talking at that point. I I want to go back to you and find out a bit more about you and how you've gained all of this knowledge. I know you were made redundant in your old job. How did that feel for you at the time in terms of mental health and just where you were at? 
honestly terrifying, Rachel. I am a gigantic control freak. And the thought that someone else was taking control was terrifying. I was one of the folk who immediately started applying with no thought whatsoever for what that job might look like the very next day after the announcement. You know, still still had the sore head after the uh, redundancy announcement and I was on the on the laptop applying for a job with no thought and consideration. So, yeah, I, I was in redundancy. I worked there for three and a half years in my last role, which was employability. Um, that's how I got into this. I, I learned how to help people back to work. So once I got out of my panic state which took me a wee while, um, I decided to make the most of it and to get what I could from the experience. So as other members of the team exited, I took over bits of their roles. So that was great. But by the time we came out, I had known for six months I was going to start my own gig, doing a bit of employability and some management training work. And I decided to get myself together in that six month time and get a network. And I was lucky. I had a really supportive manager who'd been self-employed many years before. Um, and she, you know, she supported all of us to do what we wanted. But I knew I thought I was going to give self-employment a go. And it will be five years in March. How has your mental health been impacted by your work life? Are there any times when you've struggled? Yeah, absolutely. I had a, an experience of, God, a, a number of years ago now where I just was not coping with a job. It wasn't a good fit. I knew that pretty much in the first week, Rachel, but I chose to ignore it because the run-in had been so long and I was so glad to get something because I've been doing a short contract. Uh, again, knowing what I know now about how much I like to be in control, no surprises, I sort of jumped at the first thing that, that took me um, and it ended up being pretty bad for my mental and physical health actually at the time. So I walked away um, and you know, started again basically. I uh, got a job quite quickly after it, which was which was really lucky. Um spent some time back living with my folks and just really had to get myself back in a in a good place again and kind of put put myself first. And I think that's really key for people to understand. And yes, I'll be honest, I did have the, the, the option to go to my folks. I did have a bit of money in the bank as well. There's obviously things to take into account, but no job is worth your mental health. So if there's, there's a difference between something not being perfect and not being really fulfilling and you're not springing out of bed in the morning and something actively really draining you. And it's worth having a think about which camp you're in. Um, if it gets worse, will it go to that? And having a, a think about how you protect your mental health. Sometimes you just need to get out. See people thinking the next job has to be perfect because I got burned so badly. It doesn't. It just has to get you out, let you heal a little bit, and then you can go back from there. I don't think I've met a single person who hasn't had an experience in their job history that wasn't great, that wasn't happy, that wasn't perfect. We've all had them. Um, if you haven't, yours is coming. Sorry. Um, so it's worth knowing that at some point something's not going to be ideal or perfect, and it's about how you kind of move on from that. My choice in mine was to walk away. Um, if you have that option at all and it helps you and it lets you it lets you get better, that's what I would do. Yeah, I love that. And the fact that you went back to your parents' house, I actually think is a really brave decision in itself because I know friends who've, you know, worried about, oh, if I go back home as an adult, that's a sign of failure and I'm not keeping up with my peers or anything like that. How did that make you feel at the time? Were you worried about taking what society would tell us is a backward step. Do you know, I was so, <laughs> it sounds awful. I was so delighted to get out <laughs> that I couldn't even worry about anybody else's thoughts. And it was a beautiful hot summer. Lots of the problems that had been coming up were coming up in my skin. The weather was beautiful, which really helped my skin. I vividly remember sitting out my mum and dad's back door with my dad, you know, bringing me 
strawberries and cream and, you know, um, meringues and the tennis was on. And it was just actually a very, very lovely time. And I got my job pretty quickly. It was a bit stressful. It was a bit of flying up and down to London and all of that happened. Um, and I had loads of interviews. It was actually really, what happened was actually really funny. Um, but no, I didn't. I, I couldn't think about what other people might think because I knew that I was going to be, it, things were just going to get worse. So I had to make that decision and say, right. And it's actually stood me in really good stead with the next employer who said, you know, why did you only stay there such a short time? And I said, because I moved my whole life to do the job and then I didn't like it. So I'm even braver later moving it back. And they said, well, can't argue with that. Yeah, I love that because there's always this idea that you shouldn't um, slag off a previous employer or say anything negative in a job interview, but that's not really slagging off an employer. It's just saying it's not for me. And I actually know enough about myself to know when it's not for me. Yeah, and it's also moved location as well. So it was actually really easy. And it's a, it's a, it's a thing where people from one location don't tend to want to be in the other place. So it was super simple. I'm actually a, a West Coast gal. End of story. Um, <laughs> so I was able to kind of, you know, without ever seeing anything, because it wasn't the employer. It was just wasn't a fit, you know. Mm, such a journey. It's, uh, yeah, it's amazing to hear how it's all come about. For anyone who's currently um, considering maybe starting their own business or making a complete shift, but they think I'm not good enough, I won't be the success story. Do you have any nuggets of wisdom for dealing with those kind of intrusive thoughts? Yeah, so starting a business, just be aware that it's the narrative out there right now, Rachel, is I'm actually helping a lot of people back out of businesses into fractional employment because business is tough right now. And I need to say this, I need to be really clear about that. Business is really tough. Having said that, if you are good at what you do and you are good at marketing yourself, and yes, I'm sorry, not sorry, you do have to be both or else people can't find you, you know, absolutely go for it. It has never been easier. We have tons of free tools. There's masses of free help out there. Go for it. Um, yes, if you can get some cash behind you, it's really, really helpful. I had, I didn't have massive money pressure in the first year because I had a little bit behind me. So that is so useful. But think about the skills that you do have. Again, what's that evidence that you've already done this? I knew I had written hundreds of CVs and got hundreds of folk back to work. So I knew I could do it. What can you do that you can monetize? And whether that's helping people to produce their podcasts or whether that's helping businesses with a copy or whatever it is that you can do, you can absolutely monetize it. Just know that the narrative about sack your boss and, you know, everyone should be self-employed and it's so easy and my laptop lifestyle really gets my goat because the dark side of that is, as I say, I'm helping so many business owners who aren't making a go of it right now, who are having to go back to work a couple of days a week even and are feeling real guilt and shame about it because they feel like they haven't made it work. But the reality is, as I say, business in 2023 is, is tough. Um, so I'll just caveat anything I say. I absolutely love being my own boss so much, but know that it's tough. And for the first five years, they reckon 70% of your time is spent on marketing and only the rest on actually doing the work that you love. So think about that before you start. But if you have the evidence that you have the skills to do it, you have a little bit of money behind you, there's tons of free help and support. And I, what I expected was that I would love the work I did because I only did work that I love. What I didn't expect was to meet so many business buddies who have become really, really close friends who I now trust and rely on. You need them around you if you're running a business because it is really, 
really tough and only they understand the, the waiting, the contracts, all the stuff that you're going through. Much lovely though your friends and family might be. If it's moving jobs and you're looking for a traditional employed role, again, what's the evidence of what you've already done? What, how much of the, of the job spec can you tick off? And in any gaps, how, how can you fill them? What can you do to fill them? Who can you speak to? It's been a little bit proactive and not just looking at a job and thinking, I would like that, but thinking how much of that have I actually got and how much of it can I have knowledge of, understanding of, and or can I learn? There's not much that you can't learn quite quickly and easily nowadays. Women often tell me that they'll do it once they've done another four or five year course or ask which course they should do. Usually it's about getting the experience and not the certificate once you've got, you know, beyond sort of basic levels of education. Very, very wise words. Um, You've given us loads to think about already. We have one final question that we ask all of our podcast guests, and that's what's the most important lesson that you've learned about mental health that you'd like to share with the Mentally Yours listeners? Oh, great question. Um, Protect it with all costs because you only have uh, you only have one body and if you if you let it drop it's the ball you can't afford to let smash i was reading something the other day about the plastic balls that we can allow to drop and the glass ones our mental health is glass we cannot let it shatter so i myself have I've, you know suffered with less than perfect mental health in the past i had some depression um back a while back due to a job situation which i, I chose to leave um, and since then i've chosen to protect it quite um quite doggedly. I have certain things I do not do, like watch the news and hang around with negative people. And there are times I have to say to friends, I, I can't, you know, be involved in this conversation because it's not, it's not, you know, it's not going anywhere really. And it's just um, dragging me down. So, so let's just drop it. So yeah, protect my boundaries at all costs so that Denise Duffield Thomas, who writes all the, the books about women and, and money, says you are your golden goose. She's absolutely right. You cannot work and earn any money or be any use to anybody if your mental health is, is shattered. So look after your mental health. You've you've only got the one shot. And if it goes, it'll take it. It takes a while to recover. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Thank you so much to Laurie for being our guest this week on Mentally Yours. If you've been affected by anything you've heard today, please call the Samaritans on 116123. You can find us on our Facebook group, Mentally Yours, and on Twitter at MentallyYRS. And get involved. Tell us what you've been doing this week to look after your mental health. Message Pineapple Audio Production on Instagram with your voice notes. Thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget to follow and review for more podcast episodes coming your way soon. Mentally Yours is produced by Pineapple Audio Production. Bye for now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.